Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, Romans, the Gospel for Sinners. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And verse 22. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious God in heaven, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. And that as the scriptures have been read and as your word is to be proclaimed, that we may hear it with joy to hear what you have to say to us today. In Christ Jesus, our Lord's name. Amen. Paul's question in verse 11 presumes our knowledge of his ongoing epistolary argument. Look at verse 11 with me. Let's just dive right into this passage. The question is, did Israel stumble in order that they might fall? Now, it's a curious question, and it's one that we should consider carefully. Did Israel, in fact, stumble? And if so, how did they stumble? Indeed, they did. Indeed, they have. As Paul describes in the ninth chapter, I want you to turn there with me. You're in chapter 11. Turn back to chapter 9 and look at verse 32. Paul describes it this way, how they stumbled. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold... I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Israel pursuing the righteousness of God by their works, not faith. They stumbled. They stumbled literally over Christ. Or, as Paul adds to this, now turn with me to chapter 10 and look at verse 3. Paul adds, 
for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, that is their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so I go back to the question, adding to it now, the context of Christ, why did Israel stumble over Christ? Was it so that they might be irrevocably condemned forever? Paul says here in verse 11, absolutely not. Does this mean then that unbelieving Jews may be saved by their works, as some have argued? Uh, No. Eternal salvation, Scripture is crystal clear, is by God's grace alone, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. So what in the world is Paul saying here in verse 11 and following? Now, to understand Paul's argument, to understand this question and what he is arguing, we must first understand this. And I know this is going to be no shock for a room full of Presbyterians. We need to understand that God is sovereign. And God's sovereign purpose always prevails. Not sometimes, not questionable, not maybe. God's sovereign purpose always prevails. Even if it doesn't make sense to you. Even if it doesn't make sense to me. For example... In referencing Israel's redemption from Egypt and God's purpose in Pharaoh, in chapter 9, and you'll remember this well, Paul says, or he quotes rather, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Paul then adds, again, we're in chapter 9, So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Now, We understand that God is sovereign. We also understand that God's sovereignty and what He does is not dependent upon whether we understand or not. Right? Now, what we need to understand, however, or rather, what we need to make sure we don't do is to misunderstand what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying that God's sovereign activity is arbitrary. He's not saying that God's sovereign will is capricious. And, of course, we understand here that God, rather that Paul is arguing that there is a purpose in everything that God does. Now tie that in to verse 11, including Israel's stumbling. Hard to understand, doesn't make complete sense, but there's always purpose in what God is doing, including Israel's stumbling. So what is God's purpose in Israel's stumbling? Well, the answer is twofold, and it's here in our passage today. Number one, the salvation of the Gentiles 
And number two, what Paul alludes to is to make Israel jealous. The salvation of the Gentiles and to make Israel jealous. And of course, these two are connected, aren't they? Nothing was more offensive to Israel than to consider the Gentiles as God's people. I mean, think about this. Those of you that consistently in your Bible, you know the historical account of Paul when he returns to Jerusalem after his missionary journey. And do you remember what happened to him? He was there in the temple, wasn't he? And they, they drug him out of the temple. And they were seeking to murder him. And the Roman soldiers intervened. And yet the people still wanted him executed. And Paul stands up. He says to the Roman soldier, let me say a word here. And amazingly he gets to. And he begins to speak to the people. In Hebrew. That gets their attention, doesn't it? And you may recall that he told the crowd of his Jewish heritage. He told the crowd of his religious training. He told the crowd of his zealous persecution of the church. And everyone sat there and listened so attentively. And you may recall that he told the crowd of his miraculous revelation of Jesus. And even then, they listened to him. He told them about the blindness that resulted of of him, of this encounter with Jesus. He even told them of his subsequent baptism. No reaction. And then Paul said this, the Lord commands me to go far away to the Gentiles. The crowd erupts. They seek to grab him. They want to kill him. They demand that the Roman officers execute him. I would imagine on the spot because a commissioning to serve the Gentiles by the word of God it was just simply too much for Jewish ears and yet and yet in God's sovereign purpose God chose to reject Israel and to bestow his riches upon the Gentiles revealing his kindness to the world And so I want to start out in our passage today, and I want to look at this idea of when failure means fullness. When failure means fullness. Through Israel's trespass, or that word in verse 11 could also be translated transgression. Through Israel's transgression, meaning what? Meaning their rejection of Christ as their Savior. Salvation, Paul says, has come to the Gentiles. He makes sure that he includes and ties those two together. An act of God that Paul designates as a mystery. And we know as good students of God's word, a mystery is something once hidden that is now revealed, a matter that would not be known otherwise unless it is revealed. As Paul explains to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says this very clearly. He says, this mystery is... That the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Such a mystery, which Paul makes crystal crystal clear here, such a mystery is quite startling when we consider the exclusive revelation 
by God to Israel up until that point. Among, think about it, among all of the nations, Israel was the only one chosen to be God's own, quote, possession. Or that Hebrew word to be translated treasure. And they received God's special revelation. No other nation on earth could say the same thing. Now there are Gentile exceptions in the Old Testament. You can think a few with me. Gentile inclusion within Israel. A couple that come to mind for me are Rahab. Um, I think about Ruth. Uh, I think about Naaman. Others may be popping into your mind as well. But here's the thing. They are but a glimpse of what is to come. They are but a glimpse of what is to come. For as Jesus told the woman of the well, salvation is from the Jews. Yet not every Old Testament Israelite believed that, did they? Many didn't. As Paul explained back when we were looking at Romans chapter 2, you may remember Paul said this, and this is really would be very difficult for a Jew to hear. Paul said in Romans chapter 2, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And it's here that we understand Israel's transgression, don't we? Their transgression is unbelief at its core. Just like New Testament believers today, salvation has always been by the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit. Through faith in the promise According to God's word. But apart from the saving grace of the Holy Spirit. Without faith in Christ. That trespass that Paul refers to. It continues on and on. Even as the gospel. As I stand here before you. Even as the gospel advances to the nations. Think about this. From Pentecost. Onward, a new era dawned in which the gospel is proclaimed to every tribe, to every tongue, to every nation. So we are then recipients, riches, Paul refers to them, riches for the world, he says, riches for the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Just as God promised Abraham, quote, In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, we are recipients of its fulfillment. Once, we weren't a people. Now, by God's grace, through the gospel, we now are, and Peter uses this language intentionally to show us something, we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, a people for his own possession. According to God's sovereign yet mysterious purpose, Israel's failure, and yes, Paul uses that word here, Israel's failure means our inclusion into the family of God. An inclusion that continues 
Until, until when? Well, Jesus said it continues until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Or as Paul says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Until one day when Israel's jealousy turns them to Jesus. And we pray for that day. But another thing that I want us to look at in this passage today, in addition to when failure means fullness, is when dead means life. When dead means life. When will it be the fullness of the Gentiles will be? Anybody got a time frame on this? Any prog- prognostications? Any creepy books you've read lately? We're really into conspiracy theories right now as a country. Surely some of you have heard when this is going to happen, right? Maybe QAnon has told you. Bah! Nonsense. Only the Father knows. Only the Father knows. But Paul here is not talking about prognostications, is he? Because he is seeing the world not through temporal lens. He is seeing through eternal lenses. And he's not naive, but he knows that the Lord is doing it. He knows that the Lord is doing it. He's already told us that he's broken hearted about his kinsmen. He's already told us that God has miraculously called him to be a minister to the, Jew, to the Gentiles. He's not naive. He knows what God is doing. And it was God who gave, think about this, it was God who gave Israel a spirit of stupor. Eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear. It was God that rejected them. Breaking them off, as we'll look in our passage next week, breaking them off like a branch off of the tree of God's church. While incomprehensible to us, as the psalmist says, contextually, accurately, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Why? Why? That seems wrong to say. Because God's rejection of Israel, Paul says, means reconciliation of the world. Now, Paul's use of the word world here, that's confusing to some, don't be confused by it. When he uses the word world, that's just a synonym for Gentiles. He's referring to the Gentiles, a non-Jewish people, as if I need to define this for you, a non-Jewish people who are reconciled to God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, not universally, but exclusively through whom? Through Christ, exclusively through Christ. We who were enemies of God have been reconciled to him through the death of the life of Christ. No longer are we enemies, but we are what? Well, think about it. We're gathered here on the Lord's day, no longer as enemies, but what? As worshipers. That's why you're here. That's the only reason you're here, by the way. To worship the one true God in Christ. Rejoicing in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. 
that is a consistent message that Paul has preached throughout Romans. So what then are we to make about Israel? How are we to understand Israel's rejection? And incidentally, Paul is saying that God rejected them. Though they stumbled, Paul says that they are not, and this is key, they are not irrevocably fallen away. Indeed, though we live in an era of Israel's rejection, acceptance will come. And when that comes, so the end of time comes. So the resurrection of the dead, and so life from the dead will come. Speculation of the timing of Israel's acceptance is pointless. Instead, it should point us to the one who rejects and accepts. To the one who reconciles and resurrects. I'm reminded, and you may be too, I'm reminded of the true story of the resurrection of Lazarus to life. And you may recall, oftentimes we jump right to Lazarus, come forth, don't we? But the lead up to that is very important for us to understand. You may recall that before Jesus resurrected from Lazarus from the dead, he told his sister Martha something essential, and something essential for Jew and Gentile alike. He said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then what does Jesus do after that? He asks Martha a pointed question. Do you believe this? It's a question of personal faith, isn't it? Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe what I have just said? And her response is one few Jews have professed since that day. She said, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. And even though her brother lay dead in the grave, Martha received eternal life through faith in Christ. And of course, we need to go on with the rest of the story, don't we? The rest of the story is, is yes, Lazarus resurrected from the dead. Not a resurrection unto glory, but a resurrection unto this life. And it was a miracle that spread Jesus' fame across the country. But Lazarus would eventually physically die, right? Yes, as is the case with all of us. But his physical resurrection that day is a helpful picture. It's a helpful picture of what happened to Martha spiritually that same day. And all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It was but a glimpse of what is to come. By God's grace through faith, we are brought to life. Hearing our Savior say, My child, come forth. And so we go from spiritually dead to alive. Life to be fully and finally consummated in the final resurrection. Where Gentiles like you, Gentiles like me, and Jews like Lazarus, and Jews like Martha, shall live and never die through Him who is the resurrection and the life. But there's a third thing that I want us to look at 
And that's why I took us to verse 22. And I want you to see the tie-in here with verse 22 and these previous verses. And that is, I want us to look at when severity means kindness. When severity means kindness. Like Paul, we too should not have a naive view of God. Like that's a sermon all in its own, right? We should not have a naive view of God. In considering Israel's rejection and our reconciliation, Paul says this, again, verse 22, Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness. We'll return to this verse next week and look at it in its broader context. But if you are in Christ, God has shown you immense kindness. Unexplainable kindness, but for the sovereign grace of God. Have you sincerely considered the magnitude of this kindness? Oh, I wish you would, even in this moment. Just consider the kindness of God in your redemption. All too often... The cares and the concerns of this world cause us to forget. To forget what Paul says at the very beginning of his letter to the Ephesians. That God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. No spiritual blessing is lacking in any born again Christian. Not one. No spiritual blessing is lacking. And in Him, we have obtained an inheritance to the praise of His glory, Paul goes on. I mean, such is the kindness of God to sinners like you. To sinners like me. But like His kindness, God's severity is also on display. Notably in the unbelieving Jewish people throughout the world as well as all of those who stumble over Christ in unbelief. But for the grace of God, you and I would only know His severity today. But for the grace of God. But one day, unbelieving Jewish people will see His kindness too, evidenced in all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist sings, for the Lord's anger is but for a moment, and His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And so let us persevere in the Lord's kindness by faith, consistently mindful of God's saving and His sustaining unmerited favor upon us. Consistently mindful of things that encourage us To look and to dwell upon this. Briefly, I want to give you five suggestions of things that you and I should encourage ourselves to dwell upon. Even this very day. First, let us have a right view of God. Let us have a right view of God. He who is love is holy, holy, holy. He who is merciful and gracious is also faithful and just. 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation, to those who hate Him, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love Him and keep His commandments. And so let us remember both the severity and the kindness of God. Second, let's trust God at His Word. Let's trust God at His Word. Since faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ, we must not neglect to be in the Word of God and especially under the preaching of God's Word. Those who forsake the assembling of Christ's church do so at their peril, tempting the severity of God. James Boyce puts it this way, just crystal clear, when he says in his commentary on Romans, we must continue to go to church. To hear sound teaching. We must continue to study the Bible privately as well. If we do not. We will drift away. And if we drift away without returning eventually. And how can we be sure we will return? We will perish. And so let us take God at His Word. And let's be in God's Word. Consistently under the preaching of God's Word as He has called us to do. Thirdly, let us not forget that it is not our will, but God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not our will, but God's kindness that leads us to repentance. We are tempted to presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience. Yet such presumption can lead to a hard and impenitent heart awaiting the stored up wrath of God. It is indeed God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So let us see it. Let us repent. Let us turn to the Lord. Fourth, let us believe the gospel And consistently remember God's kindness to us in it. Let us remember the gospel consistently, but also remember God's kindness in the gospel to us. The offer of the gospel is free to everyone. The offer is cast abroad to every soul on the face of the earth. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And if you are here today and you have never believed, believe today and receive God's forgiveness forever. If you have believed, then let every Thing in your life be informed and formed by the gospel. Everything. Let everything in your life be formed and informed by the gospel. Fifthly, let us not take God's kindness for granted. If Paul's going to take us there in the passage that follows, we're going to look at this in greater detail. But just briefly, as Gentiles, we did not seek the righteousness of God. We never wanted to follow Jesus. 
No, He rescued us. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And since you and I have been saved by God's grace alone, it is God's grace alone that sustains us and will sustain us unto the end. Let us note then the kindness, but let us also note the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness. For through Israel's trespass, salvation has come to Gentiles like you and me, so as to make Israel jealous. And through their failure, we have received heavenly riches and we have received reconciliation with God Almighty, our Creator. Such is the mystery of God. Jealousy, riches, and the kindness of God. (laughs) What can we say to that? Well, here's what we can say. You have your Bibles open, just flip right to the end of the last of this chapter. And look at chapter 11, verse 33 with me. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how unscrutable are His ways. Look at verse 36. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Who gets the glory, brothers and sisters in Christ? All glory. Be to our God, who has saved a Gentile sinner like me. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, there is so much we don't understand. We don't understand your rejection of Israel and the Jewish people in this moment. We really don't understand your kindness to Gentiles like us. Oh, how kind you have been to us in the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. All we can do is cry out in praise to you, for you have blessed us richly indeed. And so we pray now that you would continue to bless us, prepare our hearts for this sacrament, or in it, The gospel is preached. The gospel which we have believed. The gospel through which we have been saved. May we be richly nourished upon it indeed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.